Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Dr. Colin Dombrowski. Colin understands that when it comes to treating the foot, that no foot is the same, no person is the same, and therefore you need to treat each and every foot that comes in the office as an individual foot and, and the person as an individual person. Because of that, he uses shoes as tools. He uses orthotics as tools. And he does other things to get the foot stronger and support the person better. And he also understands the importance of strengthening the foot to actually support the rest of the body. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Colin, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. You are quite welcome. I'm excited for this interview. Um, you guys actually reached out to me, um, but I was thrilled because I was not familiar with you and, <clears throat> excuse me, with what you are doing. It is very along the same thought process and lines as what I really believe in. And so that's why I wanted to get you on to discuss what you do in the foot world yeah. um, because it is very different than what most people tend to do. So first and foremost, who are you exactly? Hey, well, thanks for having me on. My name is Dr. Colin Dombrowski. I'm a Canadian certified podorthist up here in London, Ontario, Canada. So I really focus my days on, you know, the therapy side of custom foot orthotics, footwear, how those two things match up, foot strengthening, range of motion. Um, and then we also do a bunch of research as well around all around the same topics. And I've been doing it now since uh, about 2002. Very cool. As you said, you work on foot strength and in that direction of things, which is not a direction that most foot doctors go. Right. What took you that direction? Why did you go that route um, rather than the normal brace everybody type route? Well, tell me, um, can I give a really long answer to that question? Feel free. Cool. Okay. So I mean, when it comes to what I do, you know, the very first time I took a stats class in my undergrad course, there was a slide from a previous dean of the Harvard Medical School that said, half of what you're going to be taught will in 10 years be proven to be wrong. And the trouble is none of your professors know which half. And, you know, that really kind of struck me because I'll also at that point in time, I was reading a lot more. I've been a patient for a number of years about, you know, for orthotics and footwear and all that stuff. And I've been reading a lot about all of sort of the, the, the differences that were coming up in that, in that world and in that whole thing. And it just brought me to the idea that perhaps we needed more on the research side and to really dive in and delve into why people need these things in the first place overall. And what it really came down to was that, you know, we don't actually know the, the, the specific underlying mechanism by which orthotics and footwear work. Okay, we thought we knew back in the 50s when Root came out with the whole idea of subtalar joint neutral. And, you know, that was easy. Your foot functions best when it's neither pronated nor supinated. Okay, and we held on to that as practitioners because it was an easy question to answer, right? Why am I sore? Well, of course you're sore. Look at your pronated foot. Well, here's the problem, though, when you get into clinical practice is that some of my patients would come in and, you know, their naviculars would be on the ground right? They would be such crazy pronators, yet they were Ironman triathletes and they had absolutely no pain. 
Whereas you could have some people come in and they looked like they had the, you know, the pinnacle of normal distribution of feet, right? Beautiful arch, not a lot of pronation, yet they couldn't run a 5K without significant pain and problem. So how do you answer the clinical question elegantly as to how can that male marathoner with the crazy flat foot be, you know, as active as they want to be without a lot of problem, whereas the people with, dare I say it, normal biomechanics have a lot of pain and problem. Well, who I think has really answered that the best so far and the most clinically elegant so far is a guy named Thomas McBoyle. And he basically put out a tissue stress theory. Are you familiar with that? The which theory? The tissue stress theory from McBoyle and Hunt? Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, that, that one so far, I, I think, answers that clinical question the best. And so I just thought, how, how can I apply that into practice and look at each individual case and not say, hey, yes, blanket statement. If you're a pronator, you need orthotics. Or if you're not a pronator, you don't. And that, that's what's been my guiding principle for almost 20 years. Awesome. For those well, listeners, I guess it's a long way of answering a pretty simple question. <laughs> hey, I'll take long answers. There you go. Um, if you don't mind, for the listeners who probably don't know the tissue stress theory, um, mm -hmm. would you mind explaining that? For sure. It basically says that you can you know, treat soft tissue in the body like you would a mechanical engineering problem and that you have these large zones in which for some people you can deform a soft tissue again and again and again and basically you're going to be able to recover from that stress. Okay. So it's the person that is, is you know, an over pronator if we want to use that word because I mean we could have a whole podcast episode on what, what that actually means. Right. And so that person can deform their soft tissue over and over and over, and they're going to be able to recover from that before they reach the upper boundary of that zone, where they go into more of a plastic deformation zone where they can't recover from. And that's when microtrauma starts to build up and those people get injured. And so, I, you know, when I look at people on a continuum, those are the ones that are gifted, right? Those are the ones that can go couch to marathon and, and you know, doing everything wrong and they're fine right? They, they can run in bad shoes or they can run in old worn out shoes or, you know, let's be honest, they can probably run in the boxes the shoes came in and they're going to be okay. Box running, it's the next craze, let me tell you. <laughs> and then you've got people on the other end of the spectrum, right, who just aren't biomechanically as gifted. So that, that elastic zone or the zone by which or in which they can deform a soft tissue is just smaller before they reach that upper boundary, right? Before they go into that area where they can deform a soft tissue and they start to get hurt. And when you think about it like that, maybe the person who's the crazy overpronator has a really big elastic zone in which they can deform their soft tissues. And the other person running the 5K has a fairly short zone. You know, although that research came out, you know, a, a while ago, it's still, you know, it, it's still gaining popularity amongst folk specialists in, you know, North America and the worldwide. And there's still more to know, you know, are those zones predetermined? Are they trainable? Are they modifiable? And uh, that's the, that's the fun, the fun area I get to play in every single day with uh, all of our patients. You know, it's pretty, I always find it interesting, the research that like, take hold takes hold and people run with it and the research that kind of gets pushed away and there's really no rhyme or reason necessarily to most of it other mm -hmm. than a lot of times it comes down to which is the easier method yeah and let's run with that i mean in my opinion that's why we have as many like drug companies versus holistic natural things that's why we have people bracing versus trying to figure out what's going on with that foot structure and um yeah. and i Can think I 
I think that out of that, you get people who are looking for like the one theory catch-all, right? They're looking forward to, and then to be able to take their, their broad patient base of a whole bunch of different abilities, genetics, strength, flexibility, range of motion, and they try to put everybody in that, in that box. And so why not as practitioners take you know, a little bit from each of those and use those individually with people rather than saying, oh, barefoot running's better for me. It must be better for everybody. It's not, okay? And just at the end of the break, because you've got some people who wind up with crazy stress fractures and then you've got other people who will do really, really well with it. The question, I guess, at the end of the day is just where do you lie on the spectrum and how do you test it you know, yourself or with a specialist or with somebody to find out, you know, if you wind up with a stumbling block, how do you back out of it and, and go to something different? I think that's why it's important not to get really locked into there's only one way to be. Um, it's good to have all those different theories and thought processes in your toolbox because it may not be my favorite direction to go with things, but it may be the one thing that helps, you know, the person in front of me. That's it. hundred percent. You know, and, and so when we look at orthotics, that's kind of the way we look at it, right? We look at it in, in sort of two different ways. There are some people who directly it's cause and effect. It's their mechanics that are causing their issue. They have a drop metatarsal, and I'm sorry, you can do as much strengthening as you want, but you're not going to be able to lift up that drop second metatarsal head, right? Um, or you have, uh, you know, a really bad pro, you know, plantar flex first ray, and it's shoving your sesamoids into the ground, and now your sesamoids are taking more load than they should. So sometimes it can really be a, a you know a function structure dictates what we do and other times for some people it's it's their mechanics that keep them from healing from an injury so if they're doing all the good things and they've got nutrition and sleep locked down they've got a great physio they're doing what they need to be doing you know they've modified their activity and then they're not doing as well as they could be doing then yeah we can use the orthotic as a tool but we use it as a tool not a lifelong prescription you know for some people it will be but for other people you know we can work once we get them better there's there's, there's sometimes we can pull them out of that device and they don't always need to be in it awesome i i want to go further in that direction and yeah. just kind of dive into your maybe your assessment techniques, your thought process into when someone comes to you with foot pain, like what's your process behind deciding, do they need orthotic? Do they not? And is it a long-term thing or short-term thing? Well, so, you know, I, we can start right now, right away by saying what kind of referrals I like to see in the first place, you know, so there are a lot of conditions that we just don't want to take when they're really acute. So if you have plantar fasciitis and it's your first time and, and, you know, you've only been sore for a week or two, we're not the people to see you, you know, you should be going to your family doctor and physio uh, or an athletic therapist or a kinesiologist and you need to be working through that stuff first, because there are a lot of people who with some basic home therapy, some really good tissue specific stretching, modifying their activities, you know, making sure that they're in the, the right kind of footwear for their kind of biomechanics, that will never have to see somebody like me. So that's, that's number one, is making sure that we're seeing the right kind of referrals first. If you're diabetic, and you know you have a decreased sensation and some blood flow issues, yep, I'm seeing you right away, because that, that certainly makes sense. Um, to, to you know, get somebody in who's high risk of having issues that way. And so where typically the people that I like to see are the ones that have already tried conservative therapy or they tried it a couple of different times and it's just not working for them. And then we like to figure out sort of what's going on on, on the end of, of that. So, you know, straight up, it's, it's who we let in the door in the first place. 
From there, it's going to be a combination of a variety of things. What have you done? What kind of footwear are you in? Is that footwear actually right for you? Because you'd be shocked how many times people come into me at the office and they just, they're in the wrong shoe, right? And so there are lots of different categories of footwear out there. And if your individual biomechanics don't match up with what that shoe is trying to do, sometimes it can throw you into a pattern that which after, you know, 10,000 cycles over how many runs, you're gonna wind up with a soft tissue injury. And sometimes it's as simple as that. So. I can't say that it's one thing that we do for everybody. Like, it's not like I come in, have someone do a single leg squat, go, look at that. And, you know, we put them into something. It's really a combination of what have you done in the past? What's your history of injury? What's not working for you? And we layer those things on top of one another to come up with a solution. And sometimes that includes an orthotic. Sometimes that changes up your footwear. Sometimes it's strength and mobility. And oftentimes it's a blend of those things together. Awesome. And that's what I really wanted you to, that last part, what I really wanted to get out of that whole conversation was mm -hmm. it is very individual that it's taking that history and figuring out what is the best method for someone that there's not just a, all right, you have a flat foot, you're getting orthotics because that's what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just yeah. really putting a, a thought behind it. Yep. Now, um, um, you're also a doctor in physical therapy too, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So when I did my comps, one of the, one of the areas that I had to, to um, dive deeper into was evidence-based practice. And so, you know, what I thought evidence-based practice was and what it actually is are two entirely different things. So at the end of the day, I thought, well, let's take it on face value. It's doing what the evidence says, but it's really not that, right? It's what the evidence says combined with the best available, you know, anecdote from, from what we do every day clinically, but then you layer that on top of your patient's expectations. And that's the truth true part of evidence-based practice. And so we can take all of those things, right? What works for you? What's going to be best? But if that doesn't match up with the patient's expectation and the, you don't get buy-in, it's not going to work anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's really funny. I had someone say something, a PT said something to me one time about, well, the evidence doesn't support that. I was like, I can't help you. Evidence doesn't support that. I'm like, I can get almost all my patients pain-free by doing this. Like and at the end of the day, like clinically based is also important. Yeah. Yeah. People, people, you know, they, they, I, I don't want to say they don't know the true definition of evidence-based practice, but maybe they just haven't, you know, you know, read what it really means at the end of the day. And way too many people say, well, if there isn't a, you know, a double blind randomized controlled clinical trial that shows me that this is more effective than that, then I'm not going to do it. Okay, cool. But at the end of the day, we all have tools that we can work on. And, you know, when you have a thousand people that have anecdotally told you that this is working, then if you're not putting them at risk of something that where it's going to harm them, then I, I think you're okay. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Well, I know you do. I know you have a book on it and you do a lot with plantar fasciitis. Um, being that it is a very common injury with runners, I really want to dive into plantar fasciitis, truly like what it is, because a lot of times people just have pain on the bottom of the foot and say it's plantar fasciitis. Yep. Um, so dive into a little bit of what it is, but then also like do, I think we kind of answered this a little bit, but like does everybody with plantar fasciitis need an orthotic or no. like what's that whole process? <laughs> so, I mean, let, let's talk first of all, like what is plantar fasciitis? And at the end of the day, 
Um, I'd love to give you an answer and say plantar fasciitis is this, but I, I can't. Um, so when you look at the literature, it's sort of broken down two different ways. There's sort of like a, an acute, you know, inflammation-based, you know, uh, idea that plantar fasciitis is a buildup of micro, you know, tearing at the origin point on your medial calcaneal tubercle. There's other, there's another camp of thought that you've got what's called plantar fasciosis, which is more of a long-term tissue breakdown. Um, the problem with that is we don't know, you know, definitively which one those are going to be for people um, for, for the main reason that the, all the plantar fasciosis research that was done take little biopsies once someone's had you know, non-responding plantar fasciitis for, you know, a year or longer, they've having now they're having a plantar fascia release and they take a small piece when they're already in there for surgery, put it through histology and, you know, figure out what's going on with it. So yeah, at that point, once you've had this issue for anywhere between say eight and three years, um, then, then we're, you're going to see that, that, that tissue breakdown. But for that person who, you know, took a really long walk or did some, just some wrong things in a bad pair, and now they've got some general inflammation based stuff, then, uh, it, it could simply just be that. And there was a great paper by Gurney who said, why can't it be both? And at the same time. And so, you know, we, we just don't know at the end of the day. And I think it's looking at how long they've had it for and what their symptoms are um, to figure out, you know, is it a long-term tissue breakdown or, or is it not? And so from that, we can also take what we do from a treatment perspective. You know, there was some, some good research out by, um, um, I forget which PT journal it was, but it looked at the differences between doing a more generic calf stretching up against the wall program versus a real tissue specific, you know, first thing in the morning kind of program. And it was the more tissue specific one that came out as the one that people want to be doing. So we recommend that in the book uh, in, in combination with really it's what you're doing before you take those first few steps. You know, plantar fasciitis, the way we explain it to our patients is you wind up in this chronic cyclical thing of half healing and re-tearing. So it's something that makes you get hurt. And whether you have the risk factors of, you know, uh, high BMI, standing and walking on hard floors for long periods of time, reductions in range of motion at your ankle because somewhere in the posterior chain you're super tight, or there's some kind of a bony block, uh, or you've been pregnant, recently pregnant, have had a kid, and that relaxing hormone is just going to town on your feet, which it certainly likes to do, making them a little bit longer, a little bit wider. And then at night, your foot shortens, everything starts to half heal in this relaxed and shortened position. Then when you put those feet on the floor, first thing in the morning, your arch lowers, the tissue lengthens, and you're more or less re-tearing the half healing from the night before. So we get people to really kind of dive into that uh, first thing in the morning before they put weight on their feet, way before we talk about, you know, orthotics and all that kind of stuff, uh, depending on whether or not they've been sore for a matter of a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or a couple of months. Let's take a quick break to talk about zero shoes. You know, I love being barefoot. I am barefoot as much as possible, but when you're out in public, sometimes that's frowned upon. And when you're walking around on concrete and asphalt in the Phoenix summers, it's highly unsafe. That's when zero shoes comes in handy. These shoes allow my feet to be as barefoot as possible, to allow my feet to still work like they were made made to work. And the great thing about these shoes is they last. They have a 5,000 mile sole warranty, meaning you rarely have to replace these shoes. And they have a wide range of options. So whether you're looking for sandals, something for casual wear, or something for your sports or work, they have you covered. 
You can go check them out at zero shoes. That's spelled X E R O shoes.com slash go slash get your fix PT. And you can find all of my partnerships at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now back to our conversation. For someone who, because we know they're out there, they mm-hmm. just deal with this pain for three plus years. They ask all their friends and social media for mm-hmm. suggestions on how to get rid of it. Yep. Um, worst case scenario, if someone just keeps running on it, doing things to aggravate it, what can happen? Well, a couple things can happen. One, it can just go away on its own. Right? So there's some stuff saying that it's a self-limiting condition and after nine, 12 months, it's going to get better. The other part that can happen is they start compensating. And that compensation just causes a whole chain of new problems, anywhere from your fifth metatarsal all the way up to your lower back. And so it can really go both of those ways, right? And so a lot of people, especially runners, you know, you can oftentimes run with plantar fasciitis. It's a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning until you've kind of retorn it to a point where you can be active on it. But it's not the run that kills you. It's the next morning or after you go and sit down for a while and go to get back up again. And so if you know that that's the case and you can do all of those tissue specific things and it doesn't make you any worse, we still want you to be active with plantar fasciitis. We just don't want you to make it worse. And then you mentioned the uh, plantar fascial release that some of those, some people will have. Mm-hmm. Are those, yeah. how benefit or how successful is the word I wanted? How successful are those actually? Not as successful as one would hope, you know, which is why it's, it's really not advised too, too much. Um, if you've done absolutely everything and, and nothing is working, then, you know, so for some people that's going to be the, they want to go to that option rather than living in, in chronic pain. And for some people, they are still in chronic pain afterwards and other people, you know, it, it does help. But if, um, you look at the foot surgeon who, uh, who helped with the chapter in the, in the plantar fasciitis plan, the book that we wrote, um, you know, it's not something that you ever really want to think about unless you've done all the other steps and, and uh, you've been really diligent with all the, uh, the programming. If you do have that surgery, what are, what other things can then happen in the body because of it, since you don't have that structure supporting the bottom of the foot anymore? Sure. Well, it just opens you up to a whole host of new problems going forward. And so, you know, if your foot becomes a lot more hypermobile because you don't have the plantar fascia acting to stiffen the foot at push off, then, you know, I wouldn't say that you're, you're, you're going to get one thing in particular, but it does open you up to, to, you know, more hypermobile type of, uh, of, of injuries and problems. So are these individuals then that would probably need to be in orthotics full time then once that happens? It depends. You know, some, sometimes some people will, sometimes other people won't. Um, again, it, it really depends on the individual and what they're trying to do. You know, if they, um, let's say, work at a factory and they're on concrete floors and steel toe boots all day, and then they do half marathons and adventure races on the weekend, then maybe. Um, you know, but if it's someone who just likes to walk around the block for activity and they don't find they have too many issues with the, their foot after surgery, then maybe not. Um, you know, again, getting back to it, I never like to blanket it with this. These people are always going to need them or always not, un- unless you have, you know, those, those metabolic conditions like diabetes or you have diagnosed osteoarthritis and you know that that's really going to be, you know, the, the case overall. Absolutely. What, and you may just send them out to specific physios you work with, but when it comes to someone working to strengthen the foot to learn how to walk and run properly again to push off that big toe 
what sort of things do you do with your patients or do you suggest them do? Yeah, so we have a book coming out in October uh, called Healthy Strong Feet, The Truth About Orthotics and More, where we really kind of run people through a lot of that stuff. And it's everything from being able to take control over your toes again, so being able to move them, fan them out, you know, have proper extension and flexion, um, to doing a short foot exercise to get stronger in some of those deeper intrinsics. And then from there, once, once they're able to do some of that stuff, then um, you know, that's where I would send them to somebody like a physio or you know, a, a kinesiologist or a run coach um, to, to look at the running mechanics specifically. Uh, but again, you know, running mechanics is another entire podcast episode or, you know, could be another entire just podcast on its own uh, in terms of, of, you know, what's right for individuals and what's not. And uh, a lot of the times it's figuring out just the, the style of running that's going to be best for you. Yeah, absolutely. What's, what's your thought on the whole, you know, heel strike, midfoot, forefoot? What do you uh, recommend to people? I typically, from what the science shows based on force distribution in the legs and the different positions, I try to train midfoot. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if they can't get midfoot, at least not as solid of a heel strike, straight leg force way out in front of their body, um, just because we know that puts so much more pressure everywhere. Yeah, yeah, all that breaking force and everything else that you're basically, you know, trying to, trying to stop yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then just talking like energy efficiency and just like you said that breaking force you're basically having to almost restart every time so you just lose so much efficiency with that sure sure um how about you as far as when it comes to running technique what do you about the same you same. know uh, we've got a lot of people who come in and ask should i become a you know a four foot runner a lot of people who wear um uh, am i allowed to talk brands yeah go for it Okay, so yeah, I've had some people who come in and, you know, barefoot specific shoes, like, you know, Vibram Five Fingers or Newtons, um, and, and they're running into some troubles, uh, and they want to know, you know, what, what, what can they do? Uh, and same thing, people who run into other shoes who are really heavy heel strikers and, you know, have lots and lots of wear on their footwear, and they want to know how to, how to be able to change that. And so I, I like talking midfoot too, for the most part. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And a lot of times, it's one thing nice, like I run in minimalist shoes and definitely prefer that, but... Um, that's why it's nice other companies are coming out with zero drop with some cushion there since some people still do appreciate having a little bit of cushion between their foot and the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, personally I run in, in everything. I shouldn't say run cause I don't do a lot of running anymore. I have really bad osteoarthritis in both my hips. And so uh, my joke is I don't even run to catch a plane. <laughs> the next one. <laughs> the end of the day. Uh, I, you know, I run everything from the Brooks ghost down to the ultra Torin and um, you know, can go back and forth without too much of an issue. And for different reasons, I'll use different shoes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, not at all. I, I really like the idea of having different heel drops and different kinds of rockers and just expose your body to different forces. Um, and so that, you know, when you really get locked into this, the same pattern over and over and over again, that's when all of a sudden something changes, you know, you, you run into a bit of a, you know, a, it can run into a bit of a problem. Yeah, I, I had a conversation actually, it was a podcast a while back that we talked about that, that like we need to be training, whether it's in different shoes, different surfaces, slanted mm -hmm. angles, beach, yeah. solid ground. Like we need to be able to mix, we need to mix it up so our bodies can adapt to all those different parts, things in the environment that may happen. Yep. All of that variability is just so good for us. And it's just a question of, of doing it. You know, I mean, how many people have you seen come into your clinic, go on a beach holiday and say, Hey, I'm going to go running on the beach. That sounds awesome. And it destroys them. Yeah. Right. I just and had so, one last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. 
so yeah, get, getting some, some movement variability, I think would only be a positive thing for people. The question is, where do you get it? You know, um, I would love to see more clinics offer surface variability. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find that variability because yeah, if you're in certain areas, it could be trail versus concrete. If you're near mm -hmm. the beach, it could be beach versus concrete. Um, but yeah, it's hard to really find that those variable surfaces a lot of times. Now, so, so one of the great things about that, if you have different kinds of shoes at different heel heights and different drops and different rockers, you're being exposed to all kinds of different forces, right? So that's, that, that's, that, that, that's where I like training in multiple different kinds of shoes. Absolutely. And actually, now that you mentioned that, when I was in pretty much all of college and PT school, I wore, I always had two different pairs of shoes. Yep. For that reason. Let's actually want to dive into your newer book, the one coming out in October a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I know you talked about, you said spout foot strength. You really talk about how kind of what people can do in that. Yep. Um, is it kind of, is it made to be a 100% self-treatment or more of like start here and then go somewhere else? I think it's meant to be, um, whatever you need it to be at the end of the day. And so some people will, will jump into it, you know, they'll do all the things in the book and they'll, they'll say, I'm good here. And other people will start some of the stuff, realize that they can't actually make that brain foot connection that, you know, for whatever reason, be it an ankle sprain or an old injury, they're just not able to figure out how to get their foot in the position to be able to shorten their foot using the intrinsics. And there's been some stuff from Janda that suggested that if that was the case, you can use neuromuscular stim pads and, you know, things to help train you. And so in that case, yes, looking, looking for a, a specialist to help you with that would be, would be a way forward. And so I guess it really depends on whether or not you're able to, to make those connections yourself or whether you might need the guidance of somebody to help you through it. That makes but a lot of sense. Definitely a little bit of something for everybody in there. Very cool. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something that I think is really important to discuss and that is old injuries. I yeah. think a lot of people don't understand that those injuries from 5, 10, 15 years ago that your body's been compensating for can eventually cause other injuries and other things to go on and and so it, it's it's very disregarded by them but I think I feel like other medical professionals disregard it as well it's just like well that was like that was then and it's not relevant now type thing right right and I, I really hope that, you know, going forward from a practitioner standpoint, that we see a lot more people take those things into consideration because you know, at the end of the day, your body's really good at saying, oh, great. Yeah. You sprained your ankle. We're just going to shut this down over here and you're just not going to use it the same way. And then 15 years later, like you were saying, 10 years later, you wind up having all kinds of dysfunction and you wonder why, well, you know, 10 years, how many duty cycles on that, on that ankle you, you've wound up that way. And so, you know, Getting, getting the education of people out there that when they do have these small injuries, that rehabbing through them appropriately is really positive, which is why I hate it when I have people who come in after surgery and they've been told, oh, no, you don't need physio. You'll, you'll heal up just fine. Um, you know, really, they, you know, they might heal up just fine, but at the end of the day, they, they, they would heal so much better if, if they dealt with it. Absolutely. And that's mm -hmm. one of my frustrations as a physio as well, that there are a lot of surgeries that's just like, especially meniscus. I've seen total hip surgeries that the doctors are just like, you'll heal fine without it. 
And then you've got some awesome surgeons, you know, who ask you to do prehab before and then, you know, get you into physio afterwards too. So, you know, the pendulum, no matter what, what the practitioner is, the pendulum can swing both ways, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and then the thing you have to think on top of that is even if the person does rehab or does recover fine without therapy, mm-hmm. you and I know most of these injuries are caused by whatever compensations they've been making for years. So yep. if those still are never addressed, then these issues are still never going to go away. That's it. And if you layer on soft tissue stress thinking to that, the people with smaller zones get injured sooner and the ones with bigger zones might, might take a while. It might take years before it winds up. And the problem with that is if it takes years before it winds up, what else is going to get messed up too? You know, um, can, can, I, can I give you a personal anecdote? Go for it. So we talked about my, my uh, horribly arthritic hips. Well, I have AVN in both my hips, avascular necrosis. And I had my first varus osteotomy surgery at the age of 17. Uh, I wound up with a four centimeter leg length discrepancy from that, from that surgery. Um, for you US listeners, that's almost two inches. And so at the end of the day, the real question is, you know, like how much dysfunction has been going on for how many years before I've taken it? I'm 42 now. So that was 20 plus years. And now I've got, you know, I, I, I tore my hamstrings viciously, the, you know, last, last year, um, you know, have wound up with Achilles problems, like all kinds of stuff. And a lot of it stems from the fact that, you know, through the joint saving surgery that I had, there was a lot of dysfunction afterwards that I, I never took care of. Yeah. Yeah. I pay for it now and now I'm taking care of it. <laughs> right, exactly. Darn you know, wakeboarding with my kids in my 40s is becoming much more difficult. <laughs> At least you're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that we haven't discussed that based on what you do or see in the clinic every day feels really important to bring up? You know, so one of the things that, that I always love talking with people is whether or not they still need to be in their orthotics. And so, you know, we have two different people who come back. You know, we talked about how I layer all these different things on when people come in to talk to me. Well, when they come in for a renewal, the very first question that we're going to ask them is, are they better with their orthotics than without? And it's really fun sometimes to listen to some of the, some of the, uh, the answers. Some people come in and again, right, they, they have those disorders that are going to keep them in a device for a long period of time. Other people come in and say, yep, doc, it's been a couple of years since I've seen you and we're here for a new orthotics. Great. Are you better with them than without them? Oh yeah. Yeah, they're good. But only in my winter boots. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I wear them in my, in my winter boots because I feel better there, but then I don't wear them again for the other eight months of the year. So what do you wear in the summertime? Flip-flops. Cool. What do you do for activity? I run half marathons. That's awesome. Do you wear the orthotics when you're running? No. Are you pain-free? Yes. You don't need them anymore. (laughs) You know, uh, unless you are, again, have risk factors, you know, at at the end of the day. So some people, again, they get these things and they think that they're a lifelong prescription uh, and they're not. And so it's just having the right kind of practitioner that can ask you these questions to, to really ascertain whether or not you have to continue to spend the kind of money and go through, you know, getting them, whether, whether or not you do. And I'm not going to say that, that that doesn't happen out there, uh, because it certainly does. There are a lot of great practitioners when it comes to orthotics that look at these types of things. But then again, swing the pendulum the other way, and, you know, everybody needs orthotics for all different kinds of reasons, and it's just not the case. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I know there, like you said, there are a lot of great practitioners out there who do, you know, really consider if someone needs it or not, but 
unfortunately, I think you and I both have those conversations with those people who have been told by the physicians that they need them. And so that's where we hear most of most sides of things. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and again, at that point, it, it's, it's education. Definitely. Mm -hmm. If someone's interested in your current book or the one that's coming out in October, um, yep. where can people find that at? And then also where can people just find you if they want to contact you? If they want to, well, so if they want to contact us, the easiest way is to go on our Facebook page. So on Facebook, you can just go look up Soul Science, S-O-L-E Science, and they can find us there. And if you're looking for the book, you can type in the Plantar Fasciitis Plan on Amazon, and you can find the book on Amazon. Perfect. Um, and then I think this podcast is actually going to be coming out in October. So go ahead and if you know where the other book is going to be sitting for URL. Go ahead and throw that out yeah, as well. So it'll be Amazon as well. And you can just type in. So uh, either my name is the author, Colin Dombrowski, uh, or you can look up Healthy Strong Feet, and that will also pull up the book there. Awesome. Well, Colin, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you getting on here with me. Cool. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. And before I close out today, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the foot and ankle fix for runners. Foot and ankle pain is such a common injury with runners, and yet it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be bothering you constantly. It doesn't have to be shutting you down from being able to run. But many times it does because we don't do the right things for it. That is why I created the foot and ankle fix for runners. It's an online program that'll give you the right things to do in order to resolve your foot and ankle issues once and for all and let you really get back to training like you want to. So if you're interested in checking out the foot and ankle fix for runners, head over to getyourfixpt.com courses and you can see a link for the foot and ankle fix for runners as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.